how many of you are different today than you were 10 years ago? And I don't just mean look different, but you are different. How many of you would say you're different today than you were five years ago? Most of you. Some of you, I know you, and you are different. I'll just tell you right now. <laughs> um, how many of you are different than you were when you were 10 years old? Now, if you are 10 years old, then I guess you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> but, yeah. but how many of you know somebody that you knew 10 years ago and who they are today completely surprises you because of who they were back in the past? Good. Change within a person towards the better is good. I had a friend who, and I was like him, we were goofballs and um, we ran around, did all kinds of things. We did, took a surf trip to Florida one time that was crazy. And uh, I think about it now, now my friend is a big dog lawyer in the DA's office in Houston. And I think about that because my dad got called for jury duty one time, I mean, like last year, the year before last, and uh, he saw him there, and he, you know, they dismissed him because he knew the prosecuting attorney. But it's just weird to think this guy that I goofed around with is now a very important person. <laughs> uh, you know, anybody have somebody like that that you know? You think, wow, they turned out to be something I never dreamed of. Yeah. Now, Chris, if you're watching this, I knew the whole time this is where you were going to end up. This is exact. I knew it the whole time. Now, your brother's a different story, but I knew you would be here. Uh, but I think about it for myself, too. I'm a completely different person now than I used to be. Completely different. I'm a completely person now than I was a year ago. You know, I think about the first time at, at, a, at, at camp. I was a kid. I was at camp, and they asked us to pray <laughs> they asked us to pray for one minute. They said, pray for anything you can, just pray for one minute. And, and I remember sitting there and praying. I could still go back and kneeling down at the chair and praying, and I was done in about 20 seconds. And I remember thinking, now what? <laughs> I, I'm prayed out. I used all my prayer up in 20 seconds. I don't have any more prayer to pray. And, we, and everybody said amen, and I was like, okay, fine, good. Whew. And they said, okay, now what we want you to do is we want you to pray for five minutes. And I went, oh, my word, pray for five minutes. How is this possible? And I knelt down at that prayer, uh, that chair, and prayed, prayed everything I had just prayed. And, but because I just prayed it, I prayed it faster. And I was done in about 10 seconds. And then I spent the next four minutes and 50 seconds looking around the room, trying to come up, God, thank you for my shoes and shoelaces and my fingernails and just trying to come up with stuff to occupy the time. You know, uh, I'm going to adjust my mic here. It's like right into my mouth. Um, but as time went on, that changed. And now I find myself not really having enough time to pray. That it's not necessarily trying to fill the 60 seconds it's saying, Lord, just give me more time with you. You see, the, the, the more we grow, the more we develop, and the more we change. And we should. 
And what you can discover, too, is the more word, the more scripture you get into, the more you're going to want. The more scripture you, you dive into and ingest and allow it to change you, the more you're going to want. Your appetite's going to grow. It's kind of like a Lay's potato chip. You can't just eat one. The more scripture you get, the more you're going to want. You can't just have just one. You've got to have more. And it's just going to continue to come in and come in. And if you have a Bible right now that you don't understand, that you don't know about, then let us know. We can find you one that can help you. You know, that was the reason the New Testament was written in the language it was written in. Because that was the easiest language for the most people to speak. And so it was written in the language it was so that the most people could understand it. The Bible's supposed to be understood. And so if you're having trouble, let us know with that translation and we'll get you another one. I found, I found a few this morning. I got another three in my office. We can, you'll walk out of here with a brand new Bible. Brand spanking new. Three of them are still in the box. And they're real nice. But if you don't have one that you understand, let us know. We'll get it for you. And you can walk out with one this morning. But what we're going to look at this morning is one individual. This person is mentioned three times in Scripture. And we're going to see that it's a, it's a woman. We're going to see her grow and change as time goes on. We're going to see once the Lord Jesus speaks into her life, her future and how she becomes later on is a completely different person than how she was at the beginning. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Uh, if you're using a Bible there on the rack in front of you, it's on page 869. It'll also be on the screens. If you're watching online, it'll be below me on, on uh, the screen there. Luke chapter 10. Now at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's been going around and, and doing his ministry and teaching and doing miracles for some time. And he's got his disciples. And uh, every time he would come into Jerusalem, like the headquarters of the Jewish world back then, he would enter through this one side of town where there was another little suburb of, uh, off to the side called Bethany. And he would come through Bethany and then go into Jerusalem. Bethany was about between a mile and a half to two miles from Jerusalem. I mean, he would come through Bethany and he would he developed some friendships there because he came through it so frequently. And he made friends with one particular family who lived there. Uh, it was two sisters and a brother. Mary, Martha, anybody know the brother's name? Lazarus. You may have heard of him. He's a little more famous than Mary and Martha, but, uh, but not because of what he did, but because of what Jesus did for him. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in Bethany. And uh, Jesus developed quite a friendship with them. But they absolutely believed, even though Jesus was their friend, they believed him to be the Messiah. They believed him to be the Son of God. And so Jesus would, would stop by their house every time he'd come through Bethany and go into Jerusalem. Well, here in Luke chapter 10, this is the first introduction we get to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. All right, we're going to look at them here. Uh, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named, called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So, at this point, these two verses, we learn some things. We learn that Martha's very hospitable. Martha's very welcoming. We also learn that Mary, her sister, is very devoted to Jesus. Sitting at Jesus' feet learning from this is the posture of a disciple a posture of wanting to know more 
And so she's sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha has welcomed everyone into her home. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Anybody ever feel like you're doing all the work? Yeah, I know some of you people are lying. Because I've had you in my office. I know what you're talking about. (laughs) You ever felt like nobody knows the trouble you've seen? Nobody knows your sorrows? Well, that was Martha. But I want to focus on, look at this word, or this phrase. She went up to him. It doesn't quite translate the intensity of that phrase. She went up to him. This is what it means in the original language. Uh, To suddenly or abruptly stand next to someone, sometimes implying hostile intent. The image is she went charging in there to Jesus because she had been back there serving and getting stuff ready and she had been talking in her mind and got herself all riled up and she went hard charging in there to Jesus. And she says, Lord, do you not care? Now, can you imagine saying that to Jesus? (laughs) Do you not care? I'm doing all the work. My sister's there doing jack squat. Tell her to get up here and help me. Sounds like sisters, right? Tell her to get in here and do that. It's her turn to do the dishwasher. It's his turn to take out the trash. You better tell him to do it. And so she goes charging in there, works herself up into this big old frenzy, charges at Jesus, and she starts airing her frustrations, but not just her frustrations about Mary, because you notice the first thing she says, Lord, do you not care? The first thing she says is she's airing her frustrations about Jesus. She's gotten herself so in a tizzy that she's mad at the Son of God about the situation. Because it's not playing out like what she thought. Because other people aren't doing what she wants other people to do. I know you don't know anybody like that, right? So he goes in there and she says, Jesus, you need to make them do what I know they need to be doing right now, Jesus. Because I know best, Jesus. You need to make her get in there and do the stuff that she needs to be doing because I know best, Jesus. I know none of you are like that, ever, right? Yeah, some of you smiled and looked down. I saw that. And so she accuses Jesus. She's mad at Mary. And we ourselves can so easily get ourselves riled up about stuff. Really stuff that entirely misses the whole point. She's got Jesus in her house. In her house is Jesus. And she's worried about something in the other room. Because look back at what it said. Martha was distracted with much serving. Serving's not bad, but she was distracted by her much serving. She valued what she was doing more than what Mary was doing. You see, what what Martha was doing is she was devaluing the stuff that Mary valued. Mary valued Jesus and his input into her life, his influence into her life. But Martha, in her statement and accusation, is devaluing what Mary values. But I wanna, let's look at Jesus' response to her. It's not angry. It's not frustrated. It's not, who do you think you are accusing me? I'm Jesus. It's not any of that. Look at what he says. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, 
Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, I love the way he phrases that. She's chosen the good portion. The idea here is Martha's been preparing a meal, probably multi-course meal. She's going to bring out different portions and set them before different people. And so Jesus takes what Martha's been doing, and he says, well, Mary's chosen the good portion, which is my influence in her life, is my teaching, is my word. Martha's chosen the right thing. I'm not going to take the right thing away from her simply because you don't understand. He didn't say that part, but it's the idea. And so he speaks this into Martha. So the image we get of Martha is somebody who gets herself riled up, somebody who's frustrated, somebody who's angry, somebody who rebukes Jesus, and Jesus calmly corrects her. And now we're going to flip over and look at the next time we see Martha, John chapter 11. So Jesus speaks this. He leaves there. He goes on into Jerusalem. Then he goes about and he does more teaching all over the region. And he gets word, Martha sends word to Jesus that her brother Lazarus is sick. She sends word to Jesus that her brother Lazarus, the Lazarus that he cares for, that he loves, is sick to the point of death. And she says, Jesus, come and heal him. Just like you've healed so many other people, come and heal your friend, Lazarus. And Jesus doesn't come. If you know the story in John 11, he actually stays where he is a few more days until Lazarus dies. And then once Lazarus dies, he leaves where he is to go to Bethany, to their house. And Jesus is approaching. And as he's approaching, verse 17 of John chapter 11, it says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, when somebody died back then in the first century, they didn't have the preservation we have now. If somebody died, you buried them the same day because the body would begin to not be very good. Uh, and so Lazarus died, and then they buried him, put him in a tomb, prepared his body, put him in a tomb, rolled a stone in front of it. And so Jesus goes, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days now. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. This is interesting. Sometimes when somebody doesn't do something that we want them to do, we tend to treat them not as how we normally would treat them, right? Maybe in a lesser way. Normally, if Jesus was coming, Mary would be up and running to Jesus. But Jesus didn't come like she wanted him to come. Jesus didn't do what she wanted him to do, so Mary stayed put. She was not going to go out there and greet Jesus. She was mad at him. So she stayed where she was because Jesus didn't do what she wanted. But Martha went. But Martha didn't just go because she was happy Jesus was there. Remember, this is Martha back Luke chapter 10. She got herself riled up all in a frenzy and charged up at Jesus. Well, here she goes to meet him again. Uh, verse... 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's accusation in that again, just like before. If, if you had been, if you had done, Jesus, what I wanted you to do, then we would not be in this situation. You healed, you healed that person over there, and they are a bad person, Jesus. Lazarus is a good, you know Lazarus, and he's dead because you didn't come and heal him. Lazarus is dead because, 
I mean, there, there, it, it's accusation. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22. But in the next breath, look what she says. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So Martha airs her frustration in one breath, but then she almost seems to slow down and in the next breath offer great faith. If you had been here, we would not be here. But I know that you have a special relationship with God because you're his son, and he answers every request you make of him. And so she offers great faith after having a statement of great frustration. Now, before when we saw her, she didn't offer that great faith in the next breath. She didn't. All she offered was frustration and irritation and anger. But now she's grown. She's changed between Luke 10 and John 11. She's changed a little bit. She corrects herself, corrects her uh, uh, lack of faith that was aimed at Jesus. She's able to settle herself down and remember her faith. Jesus says to her, verse 23, your brother will rise again. Now, if you know the story, you know what he's talking about, but Martha doesn't know. She doesn't have a context to know Lazarus is going to raise from the dead. She doesn't know that because nobody's ever risen from the dead before. She doesn't know that this is about to happen, that the Son of God is about to do something incredible. And so this is what her response is. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, in the first century, the Jews were taught by the Pharisees that in the last day, the people who were followers of God, the Israelites for their teaching, would raise from the dead, bodily, physically raise from the dead. And so Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And the way Martha hears it is, almost as a word of comfort, uh, he's dead, yes, but he will rise again in the last day. And so Martha's saying, yes, I know the teaching that he will raise in the last day, but he's dead now, Jesus. And so Jesus says to her, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And so Jesus makes a statement to her. Do you believe that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of God? And she says, yes, I absolutely believe it. I absolutely believe it. So she doesn't just make a regular statement of faith, like, yes, I know uh, 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 that the Lord will answer everything you say. She makes a, a declarative statement of salvation. I believe that you are the Son of God who will save the world. So Martha has gone from Luke chapter 10, being angry at Jesus because he didn't do what she, want, what she wanted, to again being angry in, in John chapter 11, but her tone shifts this time, and she acknowledges Jesus' divine nature. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who has been prophesied and you're coming into the world. So Martha has changed. Her spirit has changed. Her demeanor has changed. Her response has changed. Because of her interaction with Jesus, she has grown. Let's look at the last instance of Martha, the last time she's mentioned. John chapter 12, just one chapter over. First two verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, 
where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. Now this, this is six days before the six days before Jesus dies on the cross. Okay? This is, I mean, this is the next day, this is Saturday night, Sunday morning, he's gonna do the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is Saturday night before he walks into Jerusalem and they're gonna kill him that week. This is Saturday night. Jesus comes to their house in preparation for what's about to happen. Verse two, so they gave a dinner for him there and Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Martha doesn't say anything. She serves this time. She didn't say anything. She didn't go hard charging into Jesus. She didn't get riled up about something. She doesn't allow herself to go into a frenzy. She just serves and keeps her mouth shut and serves Jesus because Jesus has influenced her and Jesus has changed her and she's not who she was. She quietly serves Jesus. She's grown. She has come to realize the thing Jesus said in their first interaction, only one thing is necessary. At, at first, Martha chose busy, and Mary chose Jesus. But by the end, Martha had allowed Jesus to change her, and she's not the same anymore. Flip back to Luke, that first time we meet Martha. Luke chapter 10. There we go. Luke chapter 10. When Martha has this interaction with Jesus, you know, sometimes we allow so many things, so many things to steal our attention and occupy our thoughts that as a result, we end up missing the one thing that we desperately need, Jesus. Because notice what happened in, in John chapter 10, the last time we see Martha. It says she served. That's all it says. She served. But here in Luke chapter 10, see if you remember, verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. So she was serving in Luke 10 and in John 12. But the difference was her perspective. The difference was her approach. The difference was her heart. The serving wasn't bad. It was how she went about it. She was distracted in Luke 10 by the serving. By attending to the stuff, the things, she was distracted. What, you, what did Jesus say? You are anxious and troubled about many things. Many things. She was distracted by the serving and troubled by many things. You know that word distracted there? What that means is to be overburdened and worried. To be overburdened and worried. Has anybody ever felt at any point in your life that you're overburdened? by the worries of this life, by the stuff you got going on, by, by stuff that's not really going on, but situations you've made up in your head that aren't even real, that might happen, and how are you gonna respond when you say that? And it's causing all kinds of internal problems because it's really eating away at your insides because of stuff that's going on in your head. And you're overburdened by the situation, and you're worried by the situation. And so Jesus, or, or Luke, who wrote this, is saying Mary was, or Martha was distracted. She was overburdened by the assumption that everything had to be just so. Everything had to be perfect. And she was overburdened by all the details and missed the one thing that was important, Jesus being in the room. Don't raise your hand at this one. Do you ever find in your life you get angry 
or yell or even bitter at the people who support you the most because you're distracted by the many things and they're just trying to help you and you missed it? This is when you look at your spouse and say, I'm sorry, just helping you out. Martha was missing Jesus. And Jesus said, you're troubled by many things. You're greatly disturbed by many things. And honestly, there are so many things in this world that mess with us, that get us distracted. That, you know, there's the old adage that if, the, if Satan can't tempt you to do something, he will just make you busy. Which actually C.S. Lewis wrote about in Screwtape Letters. That the enemy wants to, to distract us with the busyness of life so that we miss Jesus and we don't see him. The busyness of what's going on here and we don't see Jesus. We don't see him in the midst of what he has for us. We miss the fact that he, if you have children, you miss the fact that he put disciples in your house for you to train up. You say, he said, go and make disciples. Well, he sent you some in your house. First, he sent you some experiments. Experiment on them and use it on everybody else. He sent you some he sent you some people to disciple. We miss, you miss the purpose of your job. It's not to make money. If you're a Christian, your job is not to make money. Your job is to make disciples. Your job is for Jesus. He gave you the skills. He gave you the brain. He gave you the ability. He gave you all of it. And you're supposed to do it for him in every capacity. You're, he put you in the neighborhood you're in, not because it was the only house available, but because the people in that neighborhood need Jesus, and he sent you there for that reason. Your family situation, you may not like it. You may not like it. You may be frustrated with the fact of who your parents are, frustrated with who your kids are, frustrated with the decisions some of your family has made, but he gave you that family because they need Jesus. And if you know him, you got him. That's why it's there. It's not an end to a, to a means, or a means to an end. Jesus, God wants you to be Jesus everywhere, to take Jesus everywhere, not to miss the one thing. Because there are so many things that can grab our attention, but the so many things are not important. This world is not about what pops up in your news feed. It's not about what the news is saying next. It's not about political affiliation. I always, and I've mentioned it here before, but I think about the guys Jesus chose as his own disciples. One of them was Matthew, the tax collector, who it was his job and political affiliation to be dedicated to the Roman government. And then he chose Simon the Zealot, whose job and political affiliation it was to overthrow the Roman government. And he chose those two guys to be disciples. And this may not be how it happens. We can ask him when we get to heaven. But I picture Jesus putting those two guys next to each other at dinner every single time. <laughs> but the issue over dinner for them did not you know, jump out into an argument. Because for them, they got what Jesus said to Martha. One thing is necessary. Jesus. One thing is necessary. Jesus. One thing. Yeah, but I got all this other stuff I got to take care of. Yeah, take care of that stuff. 
But be Jesus in that stuff. Take Jesus in that stuff. Take him there. Take him there and give it to him. And allow him to change the whole shebang. And it may take a long time. It may take you a week. It may take you a month. It may take you a year. It may take you five, seven, ten, twelve years. Fifteen. It took Abraham 25 years to realize what God had for him. However long it takes. Be Jesus there. Take Jesus there. Because even though there's so many things. Now, listen. <laughs> I tried to come up with some clever phrase to help you remember. They, they say in all the books and all the seminary stuff, you need a sticky phrase that sticks in people's mind. Praying through this. You know, this is, God gave me this word six weeks ago. And when I come out here and preach this stuff, this isn't just something that I think you need to hear. It's something Jesus has been preaching to me already, and you're just getting the overflow. <laughs> so he's been, I mean, you've been, I've been going, you've gotten 29 minutes. He's been giving me six weeks. So I'm just giving you what is here. There's so much more that he's been pouring into me because I need it. Because I need it. And so what I'm about to, the word I'm going to give you, the phrase, is a mantra. You can ask Katie. I've been saying it for six weeks. Mantra in my head I've been saying. But when I was praying through this, trying to come up with with the big idea, the phrase that will stick, Jesus, what he told me was, you're not going to come up with something better than what I said. I said, okay, you're right, I'm not. And so the point for today's message, the main point, something Jesus already said, there are so many things but only one thing is necessary. This is what I've been saying. Only one thing is necessary. I'm in the middle of stuff, and stuff's going on, and stuff's happening, and I know I've got to get all this stuff done, but what I, Jesus whispers in my mind over these last six weeks, only one thing is necessary. Okay. Only one thing is necessary. I got you, Jesus. I got you. Only one thing. Don't get frustrated at this, because only one thing is necessary. And that person I'm getting frustrated with needs Jesus. And if I get frustrated with them and that comes out in how I talk and my tone, then I'm not giving them Jesus, I'm giving them me. And they don't need me, they need Jesus. And so what I want you to do is take this phrase, write it down, put it on a post-it, put it wherever you can. Say this like a mantra all the time. Only one thing is necessary and it's not binge watching and it's not social media and it's not political talk and it's definitely not gossip. Man, I did a a funeral yesterday for an amazing man. A man who was always encouraging and supportive and who loved me and my family in a great way. And he did not tolerate gossip. He didn't ever, didn't care who you were. If you said gossip in front of him, hmm, it's done. You're not doing that again. Because only one thing is necessary. Jesus. Jesus is what's necessary. And so I I promise you, it's going to happen, all right? We're going to do the fall festival here in just a minute. We're going to have over a bowl of chili. You're going to want to throw that chili in your kid's face because of what they're about saying to you. Enemy's coming. You got to whisper in your head. Maybe your wife needs to whisper to you. Only one thing is necessary. Stop listening to the preacher. I don't want to chili. Only one thing is necessary. Jesus. Only one thing. Yeah, but I got five things, preacher. You don't know, man. I got these. Okay. 
Make those subcategories of the one thing. Man, I got, I got too many leaves in my yard, and it's frustrating, and I got to get them. Okay, mow over the leaves. Rake up the leaves for you kids as you would Jesus and appreciate his glory in his creation. Yeah, but you don't know my job. People, my job, hmm. Jesus didn't create them. Satan did. They are straight from the pits of hell. They are terrible. You look up dictionary, people who are, <laughs> who are the worst of the worst. It's the people I work with. You have no idea. I don't. But I do know only one thing is necessary. Jesus. I know a lot of people in tough situations. I mean, Jesus was in a tough spot. Think about the night he was arrested. His best friends ran away from him and didn't support him. The people who were supposed to stand by him ran scared. And the thing was, Jesus knew they were going to, and he chose them anyway. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, and he still picked Judas to be a disciple. You got any Judases in your life? Don't raise your hand. Don't elbow the person next to you. Only one thing is necessary. Jesus. We see it in Martha, how she changed from getting all riled up and stirred up in her frenzy because of so many things to finally, she was doing the things she had been doing at the beginning, but she was doing it differently because of Jesus. Only one thing is necessary, Jesus. Only one thing is necessary. So you have to ask yourself in that statement of Jesus, when he said, you are anxious and troubled about many things, what are your many things? What are the many things that occupy your mind? What are the fake arguments you have in your head? What are, what are the lies that you have believed because of somebody else's gossip? Or just maybe your perspective about a situation that may not even be the right perspective? I mean, from the disciples' perspective, from the world's perspective, when Jesus died, that was the end. It's over. But they didn't have God's perspective. They didn't know what was coming three days later on Sunday. They didn't know Jesus was going to raise from the dead, even though he told them that over and over again. From their perspective, they thought Jesus was dead, and it was over. Everything they dedicated their life to was done. But it wasn't. Because their perspective was wrong. The truth was, Jesus was going to raise, and the world was going to change. So what are your many things? What are the many things that occupy your mind? Maybe they even occupy your heart. Maybe they have developed poison within you and you are bitter about some situations that you have allowed to fester. Stuff that happened 20 years ago and it's still there in the deep, dark recesses. What are your many things? Students, is there a teacher that is one of your many things? That is the bane of your existence. If somebody were to say, who is your enemy? Your first thought is that teacher. Maybe your perspective is wrong. What are your many, maybe it's a health situation you're going through right now. The worry about what tomorrow is going to look like. Maybe it's fine. If, how in the world are we going to pay for this stuff? It's just bills on bills on bills on bills. How are we going to do this? Maybe it's a court date coming up. How am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get through this? Only one thing is necessary. And come what may, if your focus is on Jesus, 
You're going to walk through it as though by fire, but you will get through it because he's with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. That's the promise. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He actually said in this world, you, you will have trouble. You will have problems. But take heart because he's overcome the world and he's with you always. So what are your many things? And then you have to ask yourself the second question, will you make Jesus your one thing? Because for many of us, what we have done is we have removed Jesus from being our one thing and we have put something else there. Maybe it is money, trying to make as much money as possible. Maybe it's that situation that really changed the direction of our lives that we can't let go of. And we've made that the one thing. Maybe it's a person that we've made the one thing. Will you today make Jesus your one thing? Make him your one thing in every possible aspect of your life. Make him your one thing. And for some of you, what that means is you need to believe in Jesus for the first time today. You don't need to let it fly by. You don't need to be eating chili in a minute where you're still lost. You need to believe in Jesus. You see, these names here on this pew, these are people who we have wanted to come back to Jesus or come to Jesus for the very first time. People have put names on this pew in desperation of bringing people to Jesus. And we saw, actually, what I loved is reading some of those decision cards this week and calling those people on the phone were people I had prayed for because they were names already on the pew. Maybe your name's on the pew. Don't come up here and look for it. But think about yourself. What's the decision you need to make today? Now, I'll tell you right now, if you're already having the discussion in your head with the enemy, Man, this so-and-so needs to make Jesus their one thing. Man, that person really needs to make Jesus their, that person over there, they need to make Jesus their one thing because they have not done it. If you've already had those thoughts, then you need to make Jesus your one thing. Then he's not your one thing. I'm telling you right now, he's not. Your one thing is control. Your one thing is thinking you know best, kind of like Martha in Luke 10. Be mad at Jesus because it wasn't turning out like what she thought. If you've already had those thoughts, if so-and-so needs to make Jesus their one thing because they have not, then Jesus is not your one thing. He's not. And so you need to make a decision right now to make Jesus your one thing. Or quite possibly, you need to believe in him for the first time today. Will you do that? Believe in Jesus. Let's do this. Everybody bow your heads. I'm going to pray for two groups of people today. First, If anyone here has been overburdened by many things, raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. If you've been overburdened by many things, raise your hand. Nobody's looking. I'm looking. That's it. Overburdened by many, many things. Good. I see some of you sneaking your hands. You don't want anybody to see it. Nobody's looking but me. That's good. You can lower your hands. Let me pray for you. And then keep, when, I, when I finish the prayer, everybody keep your heads still bowed. God, there are so many people, me included, who have allowed many things to creep in. As Solomon said in Song of Solomon, he called them little foxes that have snuck into the garden. We have allowed so many things to creep in 
and elbow you out. And we are like Martha. Man, we can relate to Martha from Luke 10. We are overburdened by the many things. God, I pray for your strength. I pray that you would do a great work. You would help us to release the many things and embrace the one. To walk with the one. Because only one thing is necessary. You. God, I pray that we would walk with you. We would be you. We would be you in the lives of those around us. God, I thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Everybody keep your heads still bowed. I'm going to ask you this question now. If you today need to make Jesus your one thing, and you've never done that before, if you need to believe in him today for the first time, for the very first time, today's the last day of October, if you want to believe in him today, follow him. He's the son of God. He died so all your sins would be forgiven. He rose from the dead so you can live after you die. And you want that. I want you to raise your hand. Nobody's looking but me. I see you. Thank you. You put your hand down. Let me ask you this. If you believe in Jesus, you want to believe in Jesus, and you want to be baptized, we're baptizing again here in just a minute. We got two more that have come and want to be baptized today. And you want to be baptized along with them. The water's up there, water's warm. We got some t-shirts. You want to be baptized today, showing the world you belong to Jesus. Why don't you raise your hand? We can help you out. We got towels, we got hair dryers, the whole deal. I'm going to ask you after I pray to come down front and make a decision. And we'll walk straight up. I see you. Thank you. Yeah, fantastic. That's y'all pray with me. God, I thank you for today. I thank you that this is where we are. You have brought us here. Result of no person, but you. God, if there's anyone else needs to make a decision for you today, they would. They would believe in you for the first time. And you would give them the strength and the courage to come down front. I thank you that we're going to baptize here in just a minute. You would give people that courage as well. Walk with them. Give them the power of your presence here in this moment. It's not about any of us. It's not about me. It's not about even First Baptist Church. It's all about you. Because only one thing is necessary. Jesus. God, I thank you. In your name I pray.